And we are back for another edition of the Daily Dots. And uh, <clears throat> I'm flying solo today. The Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor, is not with us. He is in the emergency room with his little one. Um, she's going to be fine, but just really sick. So at least that's what he told me. I probably should have had somebody go to the emergency room and check, right? Sucker's probably just trying to, probably playing hooky on my dime. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, so a shorter, shorter issue today, uh, a shorter addition today, if you will. Just not a lot going on. Um, got some NVIDIA earnings tomorrow, which I think are going to be a big deal. Uh, at this point, I, <laughs> I would expect NVIDIA earnings, one company, to probably determine the, 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 <clears throat> the direction of this market. Uh, I know that's really silly. Um, but here we are, right? NASDAQ down pretty solid on the day. It was attempting its uh, 3.30 Eastern time, last half hour attempt to uh, rebound, which happens every day because by the dip, right? Uh, but NASDAQ down one, Russell 2000 down one and a half, uh, S&P down 0.69, now below 5,000. Um, technically speaking, this market's a bit of a mess. I mean, I think you can make... I think you can make an argument that it hasn't broken out. I think you can make an argument that it has. I think you can support both. I see validity in both points. Um, what I do know is you just can't get a commitment to one way or the other. Um, and again, I'll say in a market like this, that isn't, oh, there goes the NASDAQ here. It's good. Now we've, now we're sol- now down 0.19, 0.99. Uh, now 0.98. Anyway, it's, it really, you got to get that last 30 minute ramp. We all know that. Um, but in a market that is this unfundamentally connected, I just, you just, I don't know. I mean, you look at stocks today. At one point, SMCI was down, uh, let's see, super microcomputers. It's the one that everybody's talking about. Uh, it got down to 692. It was as high as 801. You know, that market, their market cap is swinging. What would that even be? I mean, market cap swinging in like a five to ten billion dollar range on the small book i i mean this it's just nuts um and nuts like we've said before right it nuts does not mean one direction has to win out um i continue to watch the mechanistic way in which these markets just want to elevate i continue watching people chasing all this ridiculous stuff and everybody's like that means we're close to a collapse and you go no i'm just sorry it doesn't it doesn't um, you know, I, I, fundamentally, I just don't even know how you really make a call one way or the other. I, I, well, I mean, fundamentally, I think the call is really easy to be made, but you're just clearly in a market that still doesn't care. Um, and you know, people, I, I heard one comment guys, well, it seems like you're exasperated by that. And I go, no, I, I just, I don't really know how, what else to, I, I just, when you're in periods of times like this, commentary really doesn't mean as much because you just have to adhere to levels, right? Meaning like there really is nothing else to do. I mean, if you're a value investor, good luck. <laughs> right? Like, and, and we are too. I, I'm just, you know, you're in a market that doesn't care. So you just got to get to a point where it does. Um, I continue to see the setup and I'll just tell you guys where it is. I, I, I just continue to see this setup where, 
you got Lukashenko, you know, talking about the head of Belarus talking about telling his country to prepare for World War III today. Uh, you got all the existing geopolitical stuff that we've, we're talking about. Um, and yet you've got a market that hates anything real commodity or energy related. <laughs> and it cannot wait to buy tech names at ridiculously elevated prices. And so you're just not even watching the market respond to like, again, Lukashenko saying that I don't think that you should put on your perma bear hat and go crying. It's just odd to watch it, the market. And, and, and it just reminds me of other bubble periods where it cares about what it cares about. And there may be very little overlap or correlation to the real world. Right. Just like oil. You hear Lukashenko saying that oil's down 1.16%. And I'm sure that's probably a supply and demand move. Right. But that is very different. Meaning it used to be when places in the world, when people were saying things like that and places in the world that produce so much oil were threatened that way, you would see geopolitical risk being priced in. And I just think that all of those functions right now, now, now look, one of the nice things about this is we'll know in the future at some point, maybe the market's got it right. That's always possible. And we always have to entertain that, Right. But what it looks like to a market, to me, is just that the fundamentals everywhere else don't really matter because you have this elephant in the room technology just sucking the oxygen out of all other parts of the market. So they're not trading the way that you would. Like, for instance, when you consider the geopolitical news and things that have come out over the last week, I can't look, I can't prove this. Nobody can. Okay, but I've been watching markets and participating for quite a while. It's odd to see oil just completely oblivious. And like I said, you you have to entertain the possibility that that's correct. But usually you see geopolitical risk priced in and there's just none. And when I see the reality of what's going on in the underlying marketplace when I see where interest rates are and interest rate policy, when I look at volatility and the fact that people are selling vol again, because that's gotten popular. When I look at all these factors. So anyway, I, I guess my point is this. For whatever reason, and, and you know, that, that, again, it's beauty markets. We'll find out eventually. For, for whatever reason, um, more, just, you just see completely different market behavior. And it's just... These are what bubbles look like. This is what it feels like. And just because you acknowledge you're in a bubble, you know, for instance, George Soros, like him, hate him, loathe him, whatever the case may be, it is impossible to make an, to, to argue against the fact that he's not one of the greatest speculators, traders, investors of all time. And George, one of his things is look for the bubble, right? Invest for the bubble. Just look for the signs of the bubble breaking. Um, you could certainly see some signs that point to this bubble could be breaking. You could also see some signs like we've pointed out that I think you can put as much uh, ammo on the board to st- that, or, 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 you know, put it, get, gather as much data, right? Well, what are you trying to prove? If you're trying to prove that you think there's a potential for a blow off top, I think that's an easy argument to make too. But I think what underlies all of this, and I think for sober-minded investors, what underlies all of this is that a lot of this price action, a lot of this valuation is not built on reality. It's not reflective of discount rates, future earnings, any of that kind of stuff. 
which, and now bear with me here, because there's a part of that that, in my opinion, is real, which is in a market that clearly owns central banks, and I mean owns them, like at no other point in time. And guys, I can't really, we've talked about it a lot on this show, I can't really figure it out. There's part of me that thinks the Fed may know a lot more than they let on and that they realize internally that they have to keep easy policy because the only way out is just to inflate asset prices. But for whatever reason, central banks around the world have decided that markets going down just isn't a good thing. And so in our opinion, the the frustration with that and, you know, and, 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 just so you know, this isn't something we dreamed up. I think Stan Druckenmiller is talking great at, 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 at great lengths about this. And this is something we were talking about a year ago. Was I think by playing it this cute, and I made the analogy of Icarus, them flying a little too close to the sun. I, I, I think that they are, I don't think, I know that they are. You can see it happening right now. And it still doesn't mean a bomb's going to go off. But I think you're at that point now where I think we will continue to see this, that by continuing down the path they're on and that they've been on for virtually all of 15, people are like, they're not on that path anymore. They're hiking rates. Yeah, and what they have to do in the middle of the rate hikes, which they they had to just drown the system in liquidity, right? So you didn't really even have them. Not, not the financial impact anyway. So, I, I, so, so in that way, I think that there's a support Right. But but what what they're doing, I mean, I think that it supports the idea of a blow off top. And, and and I just you just have to look back through periods of history. Right. The most recent being 1999. We've talked about this post LTCM, the long term capital management blow up market took a hit because it was all afraid. We actually dug through the Fed minutes. Chase did back then. And we were looking at it and all the Fed guys were like, yeah, the market's down, but we don't think the real economy is going to really matter. Yet they stayed with the rate hikes, right? So even then, they were probably too sensitive to market machinations. They should be. But when there is a scenario, and it hasn't happened many times, when there is a scenario that requires the Fed to hike into an already hot market in, in one that has accelerating inflation, you have to be open to the idea of a parabolic move higher. And that's what I've talked about of them ushering in outcomes that are worse than what they were trying to prevent in the first place. Meaning one of the most destructive things you can have is bubbles because when the bubble pops, it rips down everything. It's not just the stuff that, that is nonsense that falls. When you have a bubble, by definition, it becomes somewhat of a liquidity crisis, right? Meaning people will sell whatever they can get their hands on, even good stuff when a bubble pops, especially one that is so invested in. Meaning, you know, the, the S&P, <laughs> in 1999, the S&P was not loaded up on bubble stocks. I mean, it certainly had exposure and it had a rough ride, but it wasn't loaded up on them, right? Now they are. And I'm not calling, like, I'm not calling Apple a bubble, okay? I'm not. What, and I'm not even calling Microsoft bubbles. What I'm saying is that they have valuations that you only see not so much Apple, but I mean, it's that valuation is ridiculous considering the fact they're not growing. Um, but 
it, it just it, it destroys things. Again, Drucky Miller's talked about this at great length. He's not the only one. Um, I'm just completely missing the guy's name, Jim uh, Jim Grant. Jim Grant has talked at great length about this. Bill Fleckenstein has talked about it. We've had him on the show several times. Um, it's the popping of the bubbles. And when I see them setting up a scenario that in the past has led, right? When I say why, the threat of LTCM blowing up made them cut rates into a hot economy from a level where the Fed funds rate was five and a half percent. Okay. Fast forward to today. Hottest economy we've had in probably about 20 years, dating back to 0405, according to the according to the data, right? You guys know my opinion. I think inflation is understated. But well, <clears throat> we know inflation is understated to some capacity. The question is how much? I think it's a lot more. I, I, I think it's more than people think. I don't think it's really 15%. I also don't think it's three. I think that's a really hard one to back up when you're when you're looking at the the all the data. I know that's what the number says. What I'm saying is that the inflation has gone up more than 20% since COVID. Okay. I think we can all agree on that. Yet the official numbers, that's what they'd have you believe, right? So, but, but look at the similarities of these periods of times, right? You have this thing, LTCM, which is kind of an exogenous threat, which nobody's really worried about. It comes in and that's what makes the Fed have to cut. Like it's almost like a, a protective cut, right? Hopefully this doesn't get systemic. Okay. The problem is, is it was that cut was going into the market that was already all ginned up, already had elevated valuations, just like today, five and a half percent funds rate, just like today. And I literally said this the other day, I was like, you know, I, I think I put it out in a tweet where I said something to the effect of the, there are so many similarities between the setups. It makes me almost believe it's unlikely that they'll play out in a similar way. Right. It, it's kind of way finance works where, you know, history can rhyme, but it never repeats itself. We're almost like, man, that's so similar kind of makes you doubt it's going to play out the same way. Um, but it's interesting. And, 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 and furthermore, I think you can make the argument that there's more reason for a parable. Why? Because what did the Fed do at that point? The Fed then answered that scenario with a higher rate cut and they let the NASDAQ just get obliterated for years. And then the recession started and they cut some rates. But they, at that point, they, right, the dominoes were already falling. But they held pretty hard. I just don't see any proof they do that today. And so in that way, I think at least psychologically and behavioral wise, I think markets even have. I don't think I don't think it is silly for markets to believe, you know, that the that you have, I don't know, what is it, more fodder for a hyperbolic blow off than you did in 99. Right? Just because we, we didn't have 15 years of the market thinking it owned the Fed. Now we do. And we've seen the largest fiscal and monetary giveaways of all, right? Like just, I mean, you couldn't have primed the pump more for this. Now, again, that doesn't mean that that's guaranteed to happen, right? And that's one of the tough things that makes this environment so tough, which, which is, You just don't have the underlying underpinnings. You don't. People are like, oh, the economy. So why isn't it showing up in the air? I mean, they're, they're going to cite a company. You go, guys, come on. This is ridiculous, right? If you believe that, you're look, and I'm not, and you guys know our position. I'm not saying it's falling apart either. But it's hot 
for non-economic reasons. It's hot because of the money giveaway. It's hot because of the constant liquidity injections. And then just animal spirits, right? Meaning people, the attitude shifts. People feel bulletproof. People still think now is the time to be acquiring assets, right? And so part of that is waiting for that behavioral shift. That's one of the toughest parts about navigating a bubble too. So, but I, I will continue to say, like, I think that the only way to navigate an environment like this, at least in our opinion, and I'm not giving you investment advice, I just think that you have to have kind of a barbell approach strategy, meaning I think you want to keep the, you, you want to keep the horses close to the barn. I think you need to have a core of, of very reliable, stable type things. And then you got to use the tools at your, your, you know, the tools at your disposal to, to try to hedge the tails. I just, I look at this market and I just see tails. Just fat tails on both sides. I think you can make a compelling argument for a really nasty move down, 15, 20, maybe even 25%. And you guys know our spot on the blow up top and or the blow off top. And here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I don't think fundamentals will necessarily determine which way that goes. And that, you know, that's that posture of us just saying, you know what, until this starts making some sense and until valuations are somewhat digestible, you know, this is the way we got to play it. You know, we'll take our strategic polls here and there and take our shots at things if we see an opportunity. But by and large, I just think it's all about defending the tails. So uh, Chase will be back tomorrow. We'll have more talk about data and stuff coming up. I know there's a couple things, data points he was looking forward to this week. But again, as we're sitting here today, and it's why we haven't really focused too much on the data, uh, again, as silly as this sounds, and again, I think this should be a sign of the times, Right. I don't think there's a more important data point for this market right now than NVIDIA's earnings, one company's earnings. Now, here's the other thing. It might be important for a day, and then a day after it might not matter anymore. I mean, again, if there's anything that you're saying, I got in this conversation with a guy over Twitter where he's like, look, you, you know, this whole hyperbolic blow off top, you sound like it's wishful thinking. You sound like a guy that's just, uh, you know, just surrendered to this market. And I go, not at all. You know, I, I, I haven't surrendered to the market, but, you know, kind of reminded me of the movie aliens, you know, when they're having the, they, they have that first encounter and they get, they get, they get the worst of it. And the guy, you know, I don't know if you're keeping up on current events, man, but we just got our butts kicked, man. Right. Um, he didn't say butts, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of, that, that was kind of my retort to him was like, well, where you been for the last 15 years, man, especially the last four. Right. And not saying that in like a caustic, rude way, but just saying, yeah, I agree with you. It shouldn't keep going up. Prices are ridiculous. And yet here we are. Right. And we've seen plenty of times in the past where where we're at right now is the launch pad to crazier. Right. Specifically 99. And I think this again, going back, I think the similar if that's not what you're thinking. I think that you need to go back and look at that 98 to 99 setup. Don't take my word for it. And if you look at it in an unbiased, unjaundiced way, I just, I just think you have to sit there and admit, yeah, yeah, they, yep. A lot of the factors that drove that, almost the exact same ones are in play. And like I said, because I make that acknowledgement, it makes me think that it's not as likely to happen. But this is the problem, right? Right here is the problem with navigating bubbles. We're talking about everything but the fundamentals. And truthfully, in finance and investing, the fundamentals are what keep you on the rails. The fundamentals are what tell you when you're in a healthy environment or not healthy environment. And when the fundamentals don't matter for long enough, bad things happen. 
And I don't think that's what people think, right? They, they hear guys like me going, oh, they're juicing it too much. What a pessimist. He doesn't like makeup. No, it's because we know how this ends. Meaning when you see these periods of unsupported enthusiasm, irrational exuberance, as Greenspan called it, you know what's coming. Anytime people start buying asset prices that are not based on fundamentals, things get weird. Now, to call things weird in this environment is probably the understatement of the last decade. But there, there again, deficits, debt, all of the things that would contribute to a ridiculous blow off top, they're all there in spades even more so than they were in 99. Do I like it? No, I'm a fundamental investor. I hope to heck I'm wrong. But, you know, the older, the older I get and the longer I do this job, I, I, I think of one thing that my grandfather told me. And my dad, to that extent, my father would tell me the same thing, probably even more times than my grandfather. You know, those little pieces of wisdom, right, that you rely on, that you, you see become so true time and time again. And one of them was just because something is imminent does not make it inevitable, right? Meaning things can take a lot longer to play out, right? The other side of it, or, or the other comment, that was made repeatedly was look, you have to play the game that's in front of you, right? You don't get a choice. You don't get to choose. It is the game. And one of the hardest things about that game is keeping your head about you when nobody else does right. And trusting it, trusting the fundamentals, trusting the disciplined approach. It's the hardest thing, especially in a bubble like environment, because the feedback you're getting is constantly that you're doing the wrong thing, right? Why? Because everybody else is making money and you're not. So what is the best way to navigate those bubbles? It's to participate in them and make money off it, but ensure your downside at the same time. Very tricky. Very tricky. Call it bubble surfing, right? And why is it tricky? Because you're so off the rails. There are no, there are, there's, right? There's nothing you can touch, right? I mean, you know, for instance, I mean, is... I think Apple's price is ludicrous considering their, their growth pace right now. But when are we going to call it? Is it 50 times earnings? It's too much. Is it 45? Is it 60? I don't know. Right? So we, 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 we've got to be disciplined, but I think the easiest way to be disciplined is to, is to try to play it in a way where you're not overexposing yourself to risk because reality will matter. You know, but, you know, I just see what's coming down the pike, guys, in commercial real estate. And if you think the Fed's going to let that fire burn and they're not going to jump in and cut rates, and I just, I hope you're right because I hope things get back to even because I think that the potential, I think that, I actually think a little mild recession would be one of the best things that could happen to us right now. It, it fixes literally all the problems that we're addressing. It calms animal spirits. It just chills things out. And I think that, you know, in that geopolitical side of it, that's one of the things making me so nervous because when you have a market that's like this with that potential pot kind of simmering in the background, if that pot starts flowing over, right? Remember, you're not just going to get geopolitical risk priced in the market, which it is clearly not. You're also just going to get fundamental write downs in the market. That's where a big crash could happen. 
that geopolitical risk looms large, and this market just doesn't care about it. So, anyway, we'll watch. We, like I said, I think that as stupid as it sounds, I think the whole thing hinges on NVIDIA earnings right now, at least for tomorrow. So, you know, play accordingly, kids. Any guidance on NVIDIA? I don't have any. Again, I'll tell you, when something gets that expensive, I just can't. I, I, it's uninvestable to me. It just is. I and and I could be one. I've been wrong so far. Could be wrong. Not advocating you go out and sell your Nvidia or anything like that. I just look at it and I go, I don't know. That's so expensive. I just can't even. I you guys apparently have the ability to have a crystal ball that sees ten years out, and I don't. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I'll be kicking my. Maybe maybe I'll hire one of those guys to manage our money at Bulwark at some point because they clearly can see further down the road than I can. But I can't. And if I can't see down the road, if I don't know, you know, managing other people's money, you know, it's if I'm just managing my own money, I might throw something out there, make a bet one way or the other, see how it plays out. It can't do that with other people's money. Right. So a lot of that stuff's just uninvestable. So anyway, be careful. Stick with us. I, I think we'll probably have more to talk about tomorrow one way or the other, because I would expect the reaction to NVIDIA markets. NVIDIA earnings be pretty nuts. So we'll see how that plays out. And then Chase will have a bevy of other things he's looking at tomorrow that we'll go over as well. Also, guys, if you don't listen to the interviews, I think we did an awesome one. And and I could be wrong. It's weird doing interviews because the ones that I typically think are the best, nobody's ever said they were bad, but, you know, it's kind of, and then the ones, it's kind of like social media, right? We could all, you put something out there and you're like, boy, that's really smart. That thing's going to go nuts. And nobody even pays attention to it, right? And then you throw out another one. Like I put one out talking about making two mortgage payments one time. It got like 1.6 million views. It was insane. And I laughed so hard because I was like, that is the most, <laughs> that is the most non-esoteric, non-technical thing I've ever put out, right? It, it just certain things take off. So the interviews are kind of like that too. Um, I just think the gentleman that I interviewed is really smart and he's a bit of an expert on the federal reserve, although he shuns that word. And what makes him so interesting is he's not a finance guy. And I always love that outsider view because they don't have the dogma that comes with the experts. Their, their knowledge is based on either their experience or their observations. So it's just a fascinating conversation with a guy by the name of, well, his surname on Twitter is Rudy Havenstein. Um, and the reason he has a surname is because of his anti-Fed stance. He gets a lot of people really mad at him. It's really funny. Um, it's not funny that he needs to stay anonymous, but he, he certainly does have a need. So anyway, but listen to that. It's not a paywall, but if you want to understand how we got here as far as federal policy goes and the craziness that they are entering, the bad outcomes that they are bringing into the situation, um, you know, I think you'd be remiss to not to not hear that. So, uh, yeah, check out that interview we posted this week. It's on Know Your Risk Radio podcast and pull it up. And you'll see all those episodes there. All of it's free. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Anyway, we got to run. So hopefully you'll join us tomorrow again on the dots. Continue this journey with us down economic. I don't even know what to call it. Madness, craziness, fascination. Um, makes me nervous to manage money. But as a spectator of markets, I'm also enraptured by it because it's crazy. Just see things going on every single day that just never seen before 
So anyway, until tomorrow, we'll see you guys then. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.